You're listening to the Nassau Bay Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that seeks to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus in order to make disciples who serve their community and spread the gospel to the nations. Inside your bulletin is a paper that looks like that. I'm going to get you to go ahead and take that out right now and just have it handy. If you want to, you can go ahead and start filling out the bottom part, uh, but I'll give you instructions what to do with that. You've probably figured it out already because you're smart, uh, but I have that ready. And if you wanted to, I would suggest on one side that's blank, if you want to get ahead of me, just write the word yes. Because all of us, as we learned this morning, should put our yes on the table when it comes to serving the Lord. We may not know what God wants us to do, but our answer should always be yes. And so if you want to do that, go ahead and write that on there now. If you have your Bible this morning, uh, in a moment we're going to look, as you can see, at John chapter 13. We're not going to turn there now. I just want to prepare you for that. But over the last several weeks, we have talked about a fresh start. And the last Sunday in December, we talked about what it means to abide, to abide in the Lord, or abide in Christ from John chapter 15, to abide dependently. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The next week we talked about prayer, about praying and praying fervently. And so I would ask you this, this morning, you know, we had a commitment time of, of 21 days of prayer and fasting. So I would ask, how are you doing? Now it doesn't mean after 21 days you quit praying. It doesn't mean after 21 days you may want to continue fasting from a certain thing. And so I would encourage you, I thank you for those that have come to me and said, uh, you know, what they've done and that pray for them as they continue to fast. And I thank you that, that at least one person has come to me like I asked you to and said, Pastor, how are you doing in your 21 days of, of prayer? And so uh, I hope that you've continued with that. The, the next week we talked about that favorite subject of giving, of giving generously, giving hilariously. And so I hope that God has worked in your heart. I have heard a couple of testimonies from people that have come and said what God has, has shown them and what they have done in taking action towards of being obedient to the Lord in the area of giving. And then last week we talked about going and going boldly and going, taking the gospel to those who have not heard. And so we come this week to the subject of serve. That's the, the next verb, serve. And we think of serve, serving faithfully. In the scripture, many times in the Old Testament, you'll see the word serve also with the word fervently or genuinely or faithfully. And describing how we are to serve uh, the Lord. It was May of 1982. I had been saved for about a year and a half, maybe a little more than that, and, and was in college. I was, I was finishing up my, uh, my junior year and getting ready to go home for the summer. And as I prepared to go home, I knew I was, I was facing a, a knee surgery. I knew that summer I wasn't going to be able to work but I was gonna take some classes and work on my faith. And I was one of the last in my dorm to leave. And it was a Sunday, everybody had left on Saturday or Friday. Well, I stayed over till Sunday and I went to church, Lakeview Baptist Church outside of Belton, Texas. Usually there were college students there that Sunday because everybody had gone home. I was one of the few, if not the only college student in the church that morning. And I came in, I sat on the back pew and that Sunday, the pastor, he began to, to preach. And he preached on serving. And I just remember, like it was yesterday, 
uh, being reminded in my heart that, Regan, you've been saved for over a year and a half, and you've not done anything in service to the Lord. And my heart was convicted that when I went home for that summer, I needed to find some way to serve the Lord. I needed to get involved in His church and serve Him. Now, I want you to know, at that time in my life, being a student pastor or being a, a pastor of a church or even being involved in full-time ministry was not on my radar. I had other plans. And doing that was not on my radar. But I did want to serve the Lord. And so that, that, that Sunday after church, I went and got in my car. I, I drove home to Fort Worth. The very next Sunday, I went with my mom to church at Forest Hills Baptist Church a little small church in Forest Hill outside of Fort Worth. And I went there that Sunday and, and I'd been praying, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Lord, make it clear what I am supposed to do. I don't know, I, I wasn't raised in church. I don't know what op opportunities there are. Just like God, when that service was over, a young man who was a single seminary student stood up and he said, Pastor, I have an announcement. I'm working with RAs, Royal Ambassadors, which was the elementary age mission organization for, for boys, GAs were for girls. How many of you remember RAs, okay, and GAs? And he said, I need a young man to work with me this summer. And I mean, no more had he gotten that out of his mouth. I thought, that's it, okay, thank you, Lord. And so after the, church, after the service, I marched down to the front of the church and I told him, I said, hey, this is what God's been doing in my life. I don't know anything about RAs. I have trouble spelling RA, but I want to help. What can I do? And so he told me, and he began to meet with me, and he began to uh, show me what RAs was all about. And so I began to work with him. And that summer, not only did I do that, but that summer God gave me the opportunity to teach 10th grade, 10th, I think it was 9th and 10th grade boys Sunday school. It was the worst experience of my life. Robin actually came to visit that weekend and she was with me and I had been out I had been studying and preparing and reading the quarterly and trying to figure out what to do and got in there and thought they're gonna they're gonna be so impressed with me you know I'm a college student uh, I'm, a, I'm a baseball player I, I'm just they're gonna listen to every word that comes out of my mouth wrong they were the most disrespectful group of young men that I'd ever been around in my life in fact, it was so bad that Robin sat in the class with me and she got all over them about their disrespect. And I was like, is this, is, this is what it's like to serve in the church? I, I don't know, sure I wanna do this. But that summer, it was, it was one of those things that I will never forget. But it began, where it began was when I went to church that Sunday at Lakeview Baptist Church. And I just said, God, what do you want me to do? I want to serve you, but I don't know how. And he opened the door for me to do that. Before we look at our main text, I want us this morning to come to an agreement on a couple of truths as it relates to serving the Lord. The first is found in Hebrews 14, also 1 Samuel 12, and that is this. Every follower of Jesus Christ is expected to serve. No exception. God does not say this, you've heard the old expression, to sit, soak, and sour. He saves us so that we might serve. And he, so we find in Hebrews 9, 14, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, 
Purify your conscience from the dead, from dead works, to do what? To serve the living God. Jesus saved us so that we might serve him. Then also we find in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, and this was uh, as the people asked Samuel to pray for them, and Samuel said this, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart, for consider what great things God has done. So you see, the expectation for all of us, for every follower of Christ, is that we will serve him. So that's just the first, the first point. The first principle is every follower of Christ is expected to serve. You thought, well, I, I thought I was just expected to, to, to get saved and sit on my pew and just enjoy life. No. And you know what? There, there is no expiration date on service. The only expiration date is when you breathe your last. Then the service is over, but you go and you worship the Lord. And that's, a, that's an act of service as well. But there is no expiration date this side of heaven for service. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what your condition is. There's some place for you to serve in Christ's church. The second thing that we need to come to agreement on is not only is every follower of Christ expected to serve, every follower of Christ has been gifted to serve. Did you realize that? That God saved you and he has gifted you for the purpose of service, to serve in his church. The scripture tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each one has received a gift. Then use it to serve, not yourself, but to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied or multicolored grace. In other words, God has all sorts of things for you to do. And he has gifted you to serve him through the local church. To serve him in making manifest his grace to all of those you come in contact with. You see, every person in this room this morning who is a follower of Christ, you've repented of, of sin and you've believed the gospel and you're following Christ, you're abiding in him, you're praying, you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, you have been gifted. You say, well, I don't know what my gift is. Well, you know how you discover your gift? You serve. And then you discover your gift. You get affirmation from other people. If you have, for example, the gift of service, the gift of service within the church is I mean, you may you say, well, I, I just not want to stand up and teach. That's fine. That's only one gift. God may give you this passion, this desire just behind the scenes to pick up tables and chairs, to pick up trash, to serve in some capacity within the church that doesn't get a lot of recognition. God may, call, may have gifted you to teach. God may gift you in the area of hospitality. You're so good at making people feel welcome. Making people feel encouraged. And there are people in this room that, that I know you, it looks to me like you have the gift of hospitality just as the way you make people feel welcome. And so we know that we've been gifted. Ephesians 6, 7 and 8 says, we are to render service with, good will, with a good will as to the Lord, not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave man or a free man. Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, whether you are uh, under the authority of another person and you are that person's hireling, uh, you can still serve the Lord. 
You can serve the Lord just by doing what you're supposed to do. But if you're a free man, you also have the opportunity to serve the Lord. He was speaking to the culture of that day. So th those two principles, before we go any further, every follower of Jesus Christ is expected to serve, and secondly is what? Gifted to serve. How many of you would say, just raise your hand, how many of you say, I'm pretty sure what my spiritual gifts or gift is? You, you may not know all of them, but how many would you say, I, I think I know? Okay, that's, that's pretty typical, most Baptist churches. About a half. Okay, if you don't know, then what I encourage you to do is find a place of service, some place where God has given you a passion to do something. And say, you know, I really like doing that. On that list that you've been given are some opportunities and some needs that we have in the church. They're not real specific, but as you go through it, as God puts it on your heart, check those off and somebody from that area will get in touch with you and say, here's what we need. We have needs in this area. And then we will be in touch and we will talk about what you can do. You see, that's how God's church operates. It's, it's not the, the paid staff that do all the work of ministry. The, the staff we find in Ephesians chapter 4, God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers for the what? Equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see, it's not, it's not the, the paid staff that are supposed to do all the work of ministry. We're called to equip. We do the work of ministry, but we're called to equip you to do the work of ministry. And then everybody works together in the body of Christ in order to accomplish God's purposes and God's will. And I know people that have, have been in church many, many years. They've never done one thing in service within the local church. How miserable that must be. Not to find the joy of serving Christ. Now third, as we get through these two points, the third point is this. Every follower of Christ has a perfect model. We have a perfect model, folks. His name is Jesus. You want to know what a servant looks like? Look at the life of Jesus. In Philippians 2, Paul says this, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You want to know what a servant looks like? Look at the Lord Jesus, who had all the rights and, and was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he became man. He humbled himself and took the form of a servant. And throughout the scriptures and the gospels, we see several places where Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Listen to what Matthew says. Matthew says, Matthew 20, verse 25 through 27, it says, but Jesus called them to, to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great one exercises, great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man, who is the Son of Man? Even Jesus, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. 
Then Mark 10, 45, which I believe is the theme of the whole gospel of Mark, Jesus says this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You want an example of what it means to serve? We, we look at Jesus. We look at his life. And we see how he took the form of a servant and then demonstrated it. Now, we come to John chapter 13. Uh, back in December, we looked at the I Am statements, and we looked at several passages in, in this area in the Scripture. In uh, John 11, we looked at John 10, John 14. But John 13 through 17 are chapters in the Gospel of John that somebody has said, when you read them, it's like walking on holy ground. Because it's the Lord Jesus final teachings, final words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And so these are very important words, and, and we find different accounts of these. Now, what John records, as you know, we have what we call the synoptic gospels. Those are the gospels that are most alike, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John is unique. There's unique things about John. Not that John leaves out anything the other writers do, but he just emphasizes something different about the life of Jesus. I think I've shared this with you before. When you think about the Gospels, think about a building that has four sides. It's one building, but each side may look a little bit different, but they're all parts of the same building. That's the way the Gospels are. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus told from the perspective of four different men. And John's is probably, it is the most unique. And so what we see here, we don't find in the other gospels, word for word or, or very close, we see some of it, but John seems to emphasize something different. When you get to this part in the book of Luke, Luke indicates that the, the disciples were, were together and they were arguing about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? We, who, which one of us? We, who, who's going to sit on your right? Who's going to sit on your left? And then we come to John, and John's gospel, beginning in chapter 13, uh, John begins to tell, a little different, tell it a little differently. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through these verses until uh, we get to, chapter, to verse 17. So just follow along with me. We're just, this is what we might call just a, a running commentary on this chapter. So beginning in verse 1, we see... It's, the scripture says, now before the feast of the Passover, this is the Passover feast that the Jews were celebrating since their captivity in Egypt as a, a picture of how the death angel passed over the house of the Hebrews who had put the blood over the post by the instruction of Moses. And they passed over that house and so they continued to celebrate the Passover of God's faithfulness and God's judgment but also God's goodness and mercy. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What we see here in verse 1 is a declaration and a demonstration of the love of Jesus for his followers. He loved them, it says, uh, to the end. Uh, this word, uh, end, to the end, is the word telos. It had several different meanings. One way was to look at it, it was the end of his life. He would love them to the end of his earthly life. Another way would look at it was the end of their earthly life. Jesus loved them to the end. But I believe the better way to look at this is taken from the Hebrew. 
as he talks about the end, which to the end in Hebrew meant forever. He would love them forever. We see that God's love is an everlasting love, according to Jeremiah. And so it's a reminder to us of the love of Christ for us and for his people. And the, the picture here of Jesus' omniscience, he knew that the, his hour had come to depart of this world. This was that Passion Week. The week when he would have, this, this night when he would have the last supper after and celebrating the Passover. And then Jesus would be arrested in the garden later. But what a wonderful picture of Jesus saying the time has come. Before it wasn't the right time. Now the time has come. You see, many people think the timing of Jesus' arrest and death was all in the hands of the Romans or the religious leaders. No, it was in the hand of the Father. He controlled all things. Jesus says, no one takes my life, but I lay my life down freely. But his, he knew his time had come. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them forever. Verse 2, during, during the supper, that's talking about the, the Passover meal, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. Now, now in this chapter, let me just warn you, because there are a lot of things going on in this chapter. What we're going to focus on is we're not focused on Judas this morning because we could, we could make this into several different sermons and dealing with each one of the things going on in this chapter. But Jesus makes it clear here that, that Judas was going to betray him. Then verse 3, he knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands is a picture that the Father gave authority to the Son. The second thing we notice in that verse, Jesus knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God. This is the incarnate Jesus, a reminder to us of his origin. He wasn't just born of, of, from Mary. He existed before. And he came from heaven, from heaven to earth, the incarnate Son of God. And then he also says, knowing that he was going back to God. There wasn't any question in Jesus' mind or his heart that he was going to return to the Father. This was already determined. He would finish his work on this earth and he would return to the Father. And so here we see this, this description of Jesus. Then, then look at verse, verse 4. He rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel and tied it to his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He said, what in the world was Jesus doing washing the stinky feet of a bunch of disciples? Well, this was, this was a cultural thing. This is what they did. In that, in that area of the world, when you would go out, you would go to a guest house, it was expected that you, the homeowner, your host, would have a servant or he would have at least the provision for you to wash and clean your feet because you had sandals and you're walking through the dirty streets and you collect all the dirt on your feet and you get to the house, unlike in America where we just traipse in the house with our shoes on, right? Most Asian countries, you take your shoes off outside the door even in southeast asian countries i remember one time one of the things we always warned people about when they had house church that was that was under the radar we would say whatever you do 
don't leave your shoes outside because the, the security police would come through and they would look and if they saw a lot of shoes outside the door, they would know something was going on in that apartment or that house. You see, this was, this was a typical thing for Asian culture. And so when they came in, remember, they'd been arguing, Luke said, about who's the greatest. Because of their own pride and their own selfishness, their own arrogance, they had not had their feet washed. And so here they come into the house breaking all the cultural norms and they come in and what does Jesus do? The Son of Man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. What does Jesus do in modeling? He says, you didn't do this, so I'm going to do it. And so what did he do? He tied the towel about his waist. He probably girded up what he was wearing. Took the basin of water and began to wash their feet. Can you imagine what that must have been like? The Lord who you, you acknowledged as the Lord of your, uh, and the Son of God, and now he is washing your feet? Of course, we, we go on, we notice what, what was said here. It said, when he poured it out and he began to wash their feet, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, Lord, are you, are you serious? You're going to wash my feet? What does Jesus say? He says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Now there's a couple of meanings here. He's saying, Peter, you, you're, you're not getting it, and you won't get it till later. But what he was explaining to Peter is what he was about to go even deeper on is he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. That he was going to die in Peter's place. He was going to take away Peter's sin. He says, Peter, you don't understand fully what's happening here. But there was other thing that Jesus was emphasizing here too, and that is to be a servant. But you see, there's a lot going on in this chapter that the disciples did not fully understand. Then look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, then you have no share with me, Peter. Jesus says to Simon Peter, look, if you don't allow me to do this, not just physically here, but spiritually, you have no place with me. The actual word in the Greek is meros, which generally indicates an inheritance. He's telling Peter, Peter, if you don't let me do wash, wash you, you cannot receive the inheritance that I am buying for you and purchasing for you. You cannot be part of me. So see, there, there's, there's not just the symbolism of salvation and, and Jesus' substitutionary death, but there's also the picture here of servanthood. But Jesus is going deeper with them and trying to help them understand what I'm doing, you don't really understand, but one day, Peter, you will understand it. Then look at verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but only, but my, also my hands and my head. All, he's saying every part of me, Lord Jesus, wash it all. And Jesus said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Talking about Judas. Peter, Jesus is saying to Simon Peter, Peter, you don't need me to wash you again and again and again. You don't need to be born again, again, and again, and again. You've been washed once, and that will be enough. But as we go through this life, we pick up dirt. 
We get stained by sin. And we need to confess our sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our righteousness. But we don't need to be born again, again, do we? This is a picture of reminding Peter that yes, in this life, you're still going to sin. You're going to pick up the dirt of, of society on your, as you walk through life. And I will be faithful to cleanse you. I'll be faithful to forgive you. My forgiveness goes on and on and on. And then look what he says next. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when Jesus, when he had finished their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, listen to what he said to them. Do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand what I have done to you? Now, before we go further and finish out the rest of the next few verses, I want to point out from this passage and, 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 and what we see here in other places, uh, six motivations for our service to the Lord. The first one is this, is we serve out of love. We already saw in verse 1, Jesus' declaration of his love for his disciples. We also find in the Old Testament that love for God and service to God were, went hand in hand. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with your God, your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength. So this picture of serving, obeying, fearing the Lord, it all goes together. They're not separate things, but they should go together. If we're loving the Lord with all of our heart, then we will serve him with all of our heart. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Our motivation, one motivation for serving is love. A second motivation is this, is we serve out of obedience. Jesus says in John 20 verse 21, As the Father hath sent me, so I send you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, make disciples. It's, a, it's an act of obedience. Third, we serve out of humility. Jesus is the example. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Is that hard to do? To say that person over there that doesn't look like me, doesn't dress like me, is different from me, I consider them more important than me. That's how we serve. We serve out of humility. We serve, fourthly, we serve out of gratitude. The passage we read in 1 Samuel earlier said, for consider what great things he has done for you. My, my, when we think about all that Christ has done for us, would we not want to serve him? Would we not want to lay down our life and say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Even though it may be a little bit uncomfortable, I'll do it because you're worthy. We serve also out of joy. Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with sadness. Gladness, right? Serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 84, 10, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. How many of you would say, I'd rather just be a doorkeeper in the house of God? Hey, that's a place of service, right? That's where you meet people coming in and going out. It's a great opportunity. Six, we serve him out of a transformed life. I love this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
As, as Paul was speaking to the Thess- church at Thessalonica and he was describing what they had been through, he comes down to verse 9 and he says, For they themselves, this is the people in the area, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned from idols, listen to this, turned from idols to serve the living and true God. What did they do? They turned from idols similar to what Kurt read about earlier in our scripture reading, they turned from idols, not just turned to the one true God, but turned to what? Serve the one true God. You see, a transformed life should result in service to the God who saved us and transformed us. And so another motivation for service is our lives have been transformed and we serve the one true God. Then finally, we'll close with this. Every follower of Christ should follow Jesus' example. He is our example, so there is no excuse for us not to serve him. We go back to verse verse 12 of John chapter 13. Do you understand what what I've done for you? Then Jesus says in verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. Lord means master. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. So I am, I am teacher, your teacher, I am the Lord. I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus says, look, I am the master. I am the teacher. I washed feet. Now you are to wash the feet of others. Then notice what he goes on and says, verse 15. For I have given you a what? I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Not know them, but do them. You've heard the expression, no be do, which also could be translated another way, head, heart, and hands. We know it here. It transfers from what we know to our heart and then to our hands. Know, be, do. Head, heart, and hands. If we understand what it means to truly follow Christ, Jesus says, blessed are you if you do these things. What things? What he has just talked about. A man by the name of Skip Ryan said, there'll be a quality of sentness about our lives Being a missionary, he says, doesn't always mean that we go on mission trips. It may mean that we're sent to the hospital to care for a friend who is lonely. It may mean we're sent next door with a pot of soup to someone who is sick. It may mean that we are sent to care for one another as the Lord has cared for us. And as the Lord relinquished his rights, we give up our rights, our entitlements to serve one another. For we, he says, we have been commissioned and initiated into the fraternity of the water basin and the order of the towel as servants of Christ. What is God asking you to do? We already established that we're all to serve. We're all, we've established that we're all gifted to serve. So I'm gonna give you just a minute to look at this sheet. And there's something on there, there's nothing on there that you say, I, I got something that I, I would like to do, but it's not on there, write it on there. But I'm going to give you a moment to do that, and then when the service is over, I'm going to ask you just to leave that in your pew, 
If you want to fold it up and put it in the offering box in the foyer, you can do that. You can fold it up and hand it to me or, or, or Jason or Kim. We'd be happy to take it. And then we will be in touch with you. But I want you to take a moment. I just don't want you to write something down there. I want to pray for us. But I want to give you a moment to do that. And then we'll move into observing the Lord's Supper. So take a moment and look at that sheet and see if there's something on there God wants you to do or be involved in. You can continue to write. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then I'm going to ask our, our men uh, to come and get ready to prepare the Lord's Supper. As we pray, before we go any further, you cannot partake or should not partake of the Lord's Supper if you've never repented of your sin and believed the gospel. And so I want to encourage you this morning, in just an attitude of prayer, I just want to ask you, have you confess to God that you are a sinner, admitted that. Have you ever admitted to God, God, I cannot save myself. There is nothing I can do to save myself. And there right in your heart, right where you sit, you can simply cry out to God and say to God in your heart, God, I want to turn from sin and self today. Turn from religion and I want to turn only to Jesus Christ that my trust for eternal life and salvation is in him and him alone. And if you've done that, to say to God, God, help me. Help me to be the person you want me to be. I lay my life before you. I surrender my life to you as best I know how. Take control of my life. Mold me and make me into the person that you desire, that I might be a servant for you. If you said that in your heart this morning, take a moment and just thank God. Thank him that his promises are true. That for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, and that name is Jesus, shall be saved. God is looking at your heart. It's not a prayer that, that I lead you through but it's your heart that God's concerned about. And he knows your heart as you cry out to him. Just thank you. Thank you, God, for my salvation. Now, Father, as we prepare for the, to receive the Lord's Supper, help us to do it in a worthy manner that we would do, as Jesus said, in remembrance of him until he returns, we would observe this memorial. Help us today to do that, Father. You would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more, visit us at nbbchurch.org.